available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. Our season previews are rolling on today on the show. Last week, we covered... The Washington schools and the Oregon schools. Now we're going to do the California schools, the crossover between North and South. That's, of course, Cal and Stanford and USC and UCLA. Next week, we'll finish up with the rest of the Pac-12 South, the Arizona schools and the Mountain schools. But if you have any questions or comments in the meantime, or you want to talk about any of those schools, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is our email address. If you'd rather send us a text or leave us a voicemail, you can do that too, 424 532 0678 is the number. If you want to tweet at us, at Pac-12Podcast is the Twitter. And our website, Pac-12Podcast.com. Lots of our old episodes, all of them, actually. And a bunch of other information up there. We'll put our picks up there on the blog. Uh, Come check it out, and please subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. Five-star ratings are awesome. Great reviews, funny reviews, because you guys are really good at that. And tell a friend. Uh, you got someone that you know that loves the Pac-12, let them know about the podcast of champions. They will thank you for it. You're you're so good at that. You're you're just incredible at reading that whole list of things. I would I would just <laughs> I'd get so bored. Like <laughs> ten minutes in, I'd be like, ah, I'm not doing this. No, I'm out. So I'm just impressed by you, Ryan. Well that's th- all. It's just experience, I guess. But I, you gotta try to like mix it up a little bit, say it a little differently. I don't know. But it's 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 a way I like doing that. Sometimes you listen to podcasts and they don't say anything in the beginning. I think you like what is it? Uh one of the ones you like, one of the college football ones. They just shut start down talking. full cast. Yeah. Yeah. They they just start talking and then they just end it without actually ending it. Yeah. They don't say their names. They don't I don't even know who these people are and they just start talking. So for us I think it's good. You know sometimes they're listening for the first time. You want to make sure that they know who you are and how to get hold of you. I think that makes sense. Uh, do you want to do you want to hear our most recent review? I would love that. This is a five star review from Rage Three Two Three Machine. Subject line: Listening while drinking craft beer. Uh, the more IPAs I have, the better this show gets. However, I found myself listening without alcohol recently. I must say I enjoyed this. Keep up the good work, homies. Go dogs. <laughs> All right. So I, I think for a while we were driving him to drink, and now we're driving him to sobriety. This is great. I think that's very positive. Uh, I think that's a positive life development for Rage 323 Machine. <laughs> Not that we're discouraging or encouraging drinking, but if you can actually stomach the show without drinking, I think you're going in the right direction. That's, that's yeah. great. And if it helps, as we've said before, if you need something that's kind of like a, you know, halfway between listening sober and listening drunk, you can always just listen to it on slow speed, and that way at least we sound drunk. Yes. <laughs> something good. Something sounds good. Um, were there any other, or was that was we didn't have that, that was it. That was it. We got we got so a bunch of anonymous people left us good ratings, but we didn't get any other written reviews. Written so. Okay, yeah, and, keep and them coming, people. And it was a quick turnaround for the show because we didn't record until Thursday, and now it's Monday. So, uh, not that we still got a bunch of questions. Um, 
to get to. We're going to do the previews like we talked about. Uh, we want to talk. There was some Pac-12 news, uh, a USA Today story about uh, revenue. Dave loves talking about revenue, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do and get into all that stuff, I want to tell everyone about Mac Weldon. And Dave has some, some news on the Mac Weldon side, t- side too. But the mission there is simple. Make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed. And shopping for them is easy and convenient. It is certainly that way with Mac Weldon. We both love the stuff. I got a new shipment in recently. Smart design, premium fabrics, simple shopping. Uh, It's awesome to get on the website and just kind of go to exactly what you need. I got the box uh, at the home the other day. If you remember last time, the different sweatpants that I got, the Ace and the Radius, and I took uh, took the Ace over to England and, and uh, London and Scotland when I was golfing because it was raining a little bit. It was nice because they were waterproof pants, so I was using those. But I love the underwear. I'm doing a lot of workouts recently, and they're just really comfortable. The boxer briefs, they don't ride up or anything, so I get to use them quite a bit. They're all very comfortable. It's really easy to buy on the website, and uh, I know you've had a pretty good experience with them too, Dave. Honestly, the best pair of shorts I've ever had. Like, I'm not, I'm not into the whole, you know, just doing a marketing thing for marketing's sake because, uh, you know, that's not, that's fake. These shorts are really good. I got the Ace sweat shorts. <laughs> oh, um, cool. They're super comfortable, like soft, really nice to work out in, really nice to just go on a walk in, uh, really nice for just lounging around the house. Uh, and then I got a uh, variety of Pima V-neck shirts, also extremely soft. Um, just they feel really, really nice uh, to walk around and work out in. So uh, strongly recommend um, if you like if you like clothing that feels good, get Mac Weldon. Yeah, very cool. And for us, for all of our listeners out there, just thanks for listening. Uh, but if you want to check it out, wear it for yourself, you can get 20% off your first order. If you go to MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code POC at checkout. So 20% off your first order, MacWeldon.com promo code POC. So if Dave and I both like them, then you, you guys probably like them too. Cause they're, they're pretty badass. So nice. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, okay. So our friend shotgun uh, tweeted out some information about uh, the Pac-12. I'll read you the first tweet that he had. He said um, he's extrapolated some data from the financial data the USA Today compiled from the NCAA Division I public schools. Uh, he said the entire Pac-12 uh, versus the SEC did a comparison. First, you had schools like California, net loss of $19 million. Arizona State, net loss of $13 million. Washington State, net loss of $8.5 million. Oregon State, almost $8 million. Arizona, uh, Arizona, a loss of uh, $7.5 million. And you compare them, the Pac-12 schools, to the SEC. The SEC had five schools that made more uh, than $10 million, five schools in the top 10. The Pac-12 only had three schools that actually made any money, nowhere near uh, – what the, the, the top 10 SEC schools make of the top seven or so. Washington did the best, almost $5 million. Utah, closer to $4 million in revenue. And then Oregon's the only other school that made any money, a uh, little short of $3 million. UCLA comes in at exactly zero. I think they always do that, Dave. They show like a balanced budget. Um, but the rest of the public schools all lost money uh, according, according to this, this data. I don't know if they're concerning for you or surprising at all, Dave. Um, well, I mean, it certainly doesn't look good. Uh, Cal, 
I mean, Cal, it's obviously a lot of that stadium deal. Um, well, I, I'm assuming it is if they're calculating that into the uh, $110 million. Otherwise, I don't know what the hell California is spelling, spending $110 million on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the complexion of things that you would probably expect. Um, so I didn't read the USA Today article. What is being counted in revenue um, from, from the NCAA standpoint here? I, don't, I think it's the complete athletic department, I believe. Including donations? That's a good point. I'm not sure if it included that or not, Dave. Yeah, because I, so I, I would need to, you know, could, I, I don't even think it's in here. Um, it's not in the, uh, the thing that was published, um, what they're counting as revenue. But, I, I mean, obviously that's just moving it around. It's still not a good picture um, at the end of the day. But if it is donations, I mean, that is kind of a signal about the fan bases in general and the relative passion for the sport. Because you look at some of these, I mean, the revenue totals um, – I don't know. Texas A&M making so much more than everybody else in the SEC. Their revenue reportedly is two hundred and twelve million. Um, that feels like it probably includes athletic department donations. Yeah, that'd be my guess anyway. Uh, yeah, that would that would probably make sense. I mean, I think if it if it includes the donations, I think that helps some schools. Maybe not helps others, but um, maybe that it is better for the SEC schools. But he also pointed out. If you look at the 10 public Pac-12 schools, a combined total of 45 million lost uh, per the 2017 to 2018 financial data. The 13 public SEC schools made 145 million. So that's a $190 million uh, discrepancy between all the Pac-12 schools and all the SEC schools. So not, you know, not great. Not, not great. <laughs> not great. Not, not something you want necessarily yeah. yeah um what's what are missouri mississippi and tennessee doing how are you how are you losing money in that environment i yeah i don't know tennessee should not be i mean now they've had they've been a dumpster fire but yeah i don't know that's they, what makes me think it's got to include donations right because those three are the three worst schools in the in the sec this past year right so, so maybe, maybe it was donations just, are down a little or? yeah maybe donations dropped just because the team hasn't been very good yeah, eh, potentially. But that was just something, uh, you know, to brought. I brought it up. I retweeted it from our Pac-12 podcast account. And there's some, a lot of Larry Scott uh, mentions there, you know. So it's uh, something that needs to be reversed. You can't. I don't think that can keep going. No, no, definitely not. Well, good thing definitely that the, the TV contract's up next year, right? They'll get another big boost. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Wait, not next year. It's probably the year after that, I would assume. Mm, 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 <laughs> I don't know about that, Ryan. <laughs> Damn it. Um, all right. Well, I guess we sh- you want to jump into our uh, our previews? I think we should. I think it's only right. Where do we want to start today? I think let's do this. And you should be able to hear me today because we had a little audio. It, it wasn't audio problem recording. It just the way we were communicating wasn't uh, ideal. So, but I, I, <laughs> that's, that's fixed now. Um, since we, I think we should finish the PAC 12 North and the, uh, the higher rated team is going to be Stanford Cardinal. All right. Stanford, Stanford. This might be the uh, team where we have the most divided opinion actually Maybe. heading into the season. Um, I'm, 
uh, up top, I'll say it. I'm of the opinion that Stanford is going to drop off pretty considerably this year. Ryan thinks there's a chance, and I, I, I agree, but you, you think pretty strongly there's a chance that they win the Pac-12 North. No, I mean, I picked Washington to win the North. But you think but there's a chance? No, you I, think there's a real chance? Yeah, no, I think they can be legit again. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, there, there's potential for like a 2015 kind of Stanford where I think they lost to like Northwestern, I think, to start that season. And then they won like 12 games or something, like went on some crazy run, right? Is that the is that the Stanford team I'm thinking about? Like, eh, maybe it's something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's possible. It depends on a lot of pieces gelling. So let's let's go through Stanford and kind of what the complexion of this team should be this year. So if you remember last year with Stanford – um, it started out the season trying to do the traditional Stanford stuff, trying to pound the ball with Bryce Love, and it really didn't work out too well. Um, then about midway through the season, they just said, screw it, and started going to, I mean, you can call it an air raid. It really wasn't schematically. But what they did was they transitioned to a much more passing-oriented offense, um, utilizing all those big receivers, the J.J. Arcega-Whitesides, the Caden Smiths, and so on and so forth. Um, this year the offense is almost entirely new. Um, so KJ Costello returns, but Bryce Love is gone. JJ Arcega-Whiteside is gone. Trenton Irwin is gone. Caden Smith is gone. Uh, of the off- starting offensive line from last year, only Walker Little returns at left tackle. So you're talking about a team that returns essentially three starters on offense. Um, so any speculation, any uh, you know ideas about what this offense might look like, I it's pure, you know, pure guesses at this point Um, because you're going to have to find a starting running back from a a collection of guys who really haven't been very good. I mean, Cameron Scarlett has not been very good. Trevor Spates has not been very good. Dorian Maddox really didn't show that much. Um, So it's going to be, you know, kind of a testing things out with the running offense. You have to figure, okay, maybe they'll rely on KJ Costello because he's, uh, you know, returning starter, maybe – I mean, by statistic, by statistical measures, maybe the best quarterback in the league last year. But he's going to be throwing to basically one guy who caught more than, I don't know, 15 balls last year in Colby Parkinson. Yeah. Everyone else is gone. So that offense, whatever that ends up looking like, is going to tell the tale for you, for Stanford in, uh, in, in 2019. I think you're right. Uh, and they didn't even have uh, – Walker Little wasn't even available in the spring – I think they only had like five linemen available <laughs> spring. So there were some some issues there. Uh unlike was it last year they didn't have any quarterbacks this year? Like they hardly yeah. had any linemen. They, you know, they they're just they're cutting corners at Stanford. Um <laughs> I, I think I think they're gonna figure it out on the offensive side of the ball. I'm curious to see because Costello is good. And I think he can help make but those receivers could bail you out quite a bit. Certainly that's a big question. Um, also, you know, it's safety and inside linebacker. I mean, I think especially some of the inside linebacker spots like, uh, Bobby, uh, and Sean Barton, Mustafa branch, all those guys are gone. Um, I, I, I kind of feel all right. Like they're going to figure some things out. Um, I think they're moving Curtis Robinson, uh, inside from, from last year. They're going to, you know, make some moves and try to like keep that going, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But offensively, it's sort of like. What are you going to do? Uh, did you say David Shaw was a good play caller last year? That he was like really stubborn in one direction, and then kind of went in a different way. I, I, the parallel to 2015, I thought they called great offensive. They had a great offensive game plan that year, 
Last year was just sort of like they they were trying to, you know, square peg round hole sort of thing. Maybe this year, Dave, they come in knowing that it's going to be something else besides uh, this, like you said, sort of an air raid kind of system there. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what they're able able to do. It's, I think it's going to be a lot of pressure on KJ Costello. And if he's like the real deal, he's going to be able to handle it. And this offense is still going to move the ball pretty well. But if not, it's like he had so many weapons around him last year. Is that the reason why he's successful? I guess that's what we all want to wait and see. Yeah, and I, I do think it's a combination. I mean, I think he was really good at working with those big receivers. He was really good at throwing it high and, you know, in places where only they could catch it. Um, but when he got his feet disrupted, uh, he struggled quite a bit more. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what he's going to look like with a completely rebuilt offensive line in front of him, too. Because um, the pass protection, run offense wasn't good last year, but the pass protection was pretty good. Um, and then looking at the defense... I mean, you mentioned it, but three starters on offense, really like five on defense. Um, Michael Williams, Javon Swan uh, on the defensive line. Um, Jordan Fox, basically the only returning starter in the linebacker core. Um, and then in the secondary, it's Paulson Adiba, who, okay, granted, might be the best cornerback in the Pac-12, and Malik Antoine. But they, they're replacing quite a bit on defense, too. And it's not as if last year's defense was, you know, any great shakes on its own. Um, so there's I, – I, looking at this and how few starters they're returning, how little production they're returning at um, kind of various key positions, I don't know. I'm feeling more comfortable with uh, Stanford dropping off. Um, I, I think this could really be a rebuilding year. And if it's used properly, I think it could be a really good rebuilding year. You know, play, play some younger guys, get some, you know, get some experience at, on the offensive line, take some lumps, um, and, then, uh, and then set up for a, for a big, uh, big 2020 year. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't see a North contender or, or a really heavy North contender in here. Here's what, here's what we got to look at, Dave. So Stanford last year, what they return like 98% of their offensive production. Like everybody came back basically. And they, year. and they turned out nearly, it was like a top 25 offense. It was pretty good. I thought it was like 85th offense, like the 85th ranked offense at FBI, like for scoring offense or something, or maybe that was overall oh. offense. Uh, it was 26th in S&P plus. Okay. So S&P plus had it high, but I think, I think just like offensive, like the yard, what do they, what do they say? Overall offense, that's uh, – I mean, that's not a great stat. Total yards? Are you really bringing total yards <laughs> at me right now? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying. It wasn't great. Oh, uh, my God. You have you have so many of our listeners, their heads just exploded. And it's fine. Total it's, yards, It's a man. thing. I, they, they weren't right time. They yet. are. That's a thing you can count. That's correct. You're right. <laughs> um, curious to see how this goes. The other thing we got to look at – Shannon Turley, the strength and conditioning coach, he was fired as well. He was a big part of that. How much does that impact things? That could have a, a, a very negative impact on this team. I don't know if they've even hired a replacement. I think they still have the interim guy there. Do you know if they've hired their replacement yet? I don't know. I haven't seen anything. We'll have to get uh, RJ on here. We'll get RJ to kind of comment on that. But, that, I mean, that's a big deal, not having, you know, not having him around too. So, there, I mean, there's some – there's a lot of questions, uh, you know, with this, you know, Bryce Love, um, they're not going to have a bell cow back, right? Like they've always, they've had that for the last several years. 
Um, so maybe the offense does by design open things up, even though you don't have as many receivers. I'm not sure, but the, that's something that's always been there for Stanford. Now you don't have that. Um, and Cameron Scarlett, like you're not a big fan. I, I'm not sure he's a, I think he's a contributor. I don't think he's a guy that you would look to like a Bryce love. Um, so there, there's definitely plenty of questions with this Stanford football team, but David Shaw has been doing it for, uh, what's this? This will be his eighth season, uh, at Stanford. And he just always seems to kind of figure things out. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of Trevita Pritchard. Um, I don't know how much is going to change there, but, uh, we'll have to kind of see going forward, but it's, I still have confidence. Maybe I don't, there's not a lot of reason behind it, but I just kind of a gut feeling that Stanford's going to be pretty good still. Hmm. Uh, Cameron Scarlett has a um, – he's never averaged more than 4.3 yards per carry, which in this era isn't great. No. Um, it's That's that's pretty bad, actually. I mean, and I know he's done a lot of short yardage work, so that does tamp down the average a little bit, but it's not as if he was killing it in success rate either. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm interested to see what he, he does maybe um, with a little bit more – production i you know if i was if i was eyeing one of these guys that i thought you know maybe showed a little bit of explosion last year uh trevor spates at times um i know he got dinged up at one point um but i i don't see anybody who looks remotely like bryce love or or christopher mccaffrey in this group no um and if you're gonna have the 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 predictable traditional Stanford offense you kind of need that and you kind of need a dominating offensive line and i don't see either of those so at the end of the day, I think they're probably going to have to lean on KJ Costello in that passing game and just hope, you know, Colby Parkinson's up to the task and that, you know, they've got some young guys in the receiving core who are good. I mean, Connor Weddington and Osiris St. Brown are both really good, yeah. um, but they're but they're different sorts of receivers than J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Caden Smith. For one, they're, you know, 6-0 and 6-2. Um, and, you know, Michael Wilson, throw him in there too, but these are – more traditional looking receivers. They don't present the mismatch and that disadvantage for the defense that, um, you know, all that size did last year. So yeah. it's going to look different no matter how they do it. Um, even if they go the same percentage of run versus throw, um, just the, the complexion of the guys changed. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. The, the mismatches created, I think opens up a lot for the offense. So you don't have those mismatches just built in anymore. Will the offense be effective? We'll have to wait and see. Um, Schedule-wise, well, first of all, their, their S&P plus rank is 32nd. The FPI rank is 33rd. So, you know, kind of just outside of the top 25. The schedule uh, ranked third. But if you break it down and look at it, it's kind of interesting. As far as misses, missing Utah is good. Missing ASU, that's not bad. So you, you miss if the, the, the Southern teams. You miss uh, the teams that finished first and second in the division last year. So that's not terrible. And only five away games. So you don't have to go uh, away from uh, Palo Alto all that often. But the early part of the schedule isn't easy, where you're opening with Northwestern, who you know was a division winner for the, in the Big Ten last year. Then two road games at USC, which you know playing a, a rival in week two on the road isn't easy. And then going all the way to Florida at UCF, this is either the uh, the unluckiest or the dumbest bit of scheduling. I don't have the date in front of me of when they scheduled it, but um, if it was if it was any time after that one and ten or one and eleven season or whatever they did, um, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, don't go don't go at UCF. No, don't do it. A national champions from what two years ago or something or last year? What was it? And then the uh, best by far the best group of five school 
the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, that's that's a that's a that's the classic no win road game. Yeah. Uh, but then they play they host Oregon. So you're talking about a first four game stretch, Northwestern at USC at UCF and Oregon. Now, if you're able to get through that, like at three and one, things are you know, it's not too bad. You could you go into the Oregon State game the following week, but then you got Washington. So you get Oregon and Washington that's sort of out of the way uh, early on. Um, okay, <laughs> but it's uh, if you, you'll know where you are by the the week seven bye week, right? Like you you have a pretty good idea. Oh sure, yeah, I bet you know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> or you're not in the next a gutter. Week. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like. I mean, Northwestern's definitely winnable at USC. Certainly, if you can beat UCF and like split Oregon and Washington, and you're like five and one after that, that's not bad. You know, that's I mean, that's really good. I would say. Okay, but like, all right, let's let's talk about this in depth because I, I think you're kind of glossing over this. They're going to be dogs at USC, at UCF, against Oregon, and against Washington more than likely. Like they're going to be dogs in probably four of those games. Are they going to be double-digit faves over Northwestern? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know if they'll be dogs at USC, though. I'm not, I think they will be. They might. Uh, could be. Because that's also early season USC. Everyone will have them all hyped up. They'll probably have beaten Fresno State. You know, there's going to be a little bit of hype around USC. Um, so, I... Oregon's the one I could see where they might they might be like a pick 'em or something, but at worst you're talking about four absolute coin flips, um, and at best I, I, I mean at best you're talking about four absolute coin flips, yeah. and at worst those could be, you know, four games where they're not favored. Um, so I mean that I, talking about five and one coming out of that stretch, I would be stunned. Yeah. If they're if they're anything. It, it, I would be pretty surprised if they're four and two coming four out. Four and two would be good. Stretch. Three and three would be like probably expected. Par. Yeah. Par. Yeah. yeah. Par. Three and three is par. Um, so yeah, if they can get through that at three and three, then I feel pretty good about them. Um, you know, making seven and five outside chance at eight and four. Yeah. Um, but they got to get through that at three and three. I mean, there is a chance where they could go two and four in that stretch. Northwestern. You know, they're going to be favored in that game, but Northwestern is one of those weird teams in this advanced stats era that seems to always outperform what its numbers tell you it should uh, be. Just they play weird football. Um, and so that's that's a weird game. And then um, Oregon State, you know, Stanford almost lost that one last year. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what to make of the Stanford team. It's maybe one of the ones I'm intrigued about the most this year. And then the back half of the schedule, it's easier, but it's still not, like, complete cake. They've got to go at Washington State uh, in mid-November, which that's not easy. Um, and then they've got Notre Dame to close out the season, um, and that's that should be, again, a pretty good Notre Dame team. So, I don't know. I, I, could, I could see anything from, you know, wheels fall off and it's four and eight all the way to reasonably, like, eight and four. Um, but – Getting all the way up to like nine and three, ten and two would take a lot of doing for me. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess that's Stanford. Should we move on to talk about California Golden Bears? Yes. Let's talk about the boom and bust team whenever one side of the ball is on the field <laughs> and the other one is off uh, of, of 2018 and probably 2019, California. Okay. So the story of Cal last year was really, really simple. Um, they had an elite defense, top 15 in the country, 
super good. Uh, were great in kind of both aspects of things, but especially against the pass, they were really, 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 really good. Their offense was one of the worst things any of us have ever seen, ever. And I'm not just talking about football. I mean, just like the worst <laughs> things that you have in your visual memory, among them was Cal's defense last year, or Cal's offense last year. Um, and here's the thing, Ryan. You ready? Yep. This offense could be worse this year. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, so quarterback situation uh, was a disaster last year. Absolute, just grim, awful, really terrible. Um, now, the thing is, we don't really have any clarity yet on who's going to win the quarterback job this year. Uh, Brandon McElwain is more or less out of the running, I think. Uh, he's moved uh, positions, but yeah. you still got um, Devon Modster. And Chase Garbers. Yeah. I think they're still, so, as of now, they're still battling uh, during during camp. So I think it's be mostly between those two right now. Well, the sneaky thing about Chase Garbers is that um, lost in Brandon McElwain not being very good last year was that Chase Garbers was also not very good last year. Uh, you don't put up... You don't put up those kinds of offensive numbers, uh, the 118th ranked offense in the S&P Plus, as like a one-man show. Yeah. I mean, McElwain certainly did his turnover machine routine, but Garbers was not not allergic to it himself um, in the latter season. But he was so much better. <laughs> so much better. And they so much better. And, and I don't want to dismiss that. He was so much better, and he was still very bad. Maybe yeah. the – if you don't count McIlwain, maybe the worst or second worst quarterback in the league last year. Yeah. Okay. So that is the quarterback situation, and that is a position of relative certainty and stability. At running back, Patrick Laird is gone. Stud. No idea who's going to take his place right now. Uh, in the receiving core, they lose Vic Wharton, Mo Ways, and Canavinoa. That was their three top receivers last year. And if you count Laird, all four of their top receivers from last year are gone. Hmm. On the offensive line, they returned two starters from last season. Yeah. This offense could be worse. It could be. Yeah, I, I think you got to rely on Bo Baldwin to, like, do something. Like, when you bring he in, didn't do a whole lot last year. No, but that you, you bring in a guy that's supposed to be this guru that put up 60 points a game and, you know, the FCS, and you're like, okay, he's going to be a stud. And they they were like – Cal offense was sort of like UCLA recruiting. You're like, that, that's <laughs> what's going on. It was just so bad. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like – I don't know what you think of Monster, but – I feel like if Chase Garbers just gets the job and, and, and has it and they just play him through the whole year, he'll get better. Uh, he'll find some receivers, and maybe they can offense a little bit. Um, oh, it, no, no. No, 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 no. You don't want him to it, offense. It's going to be more important than ever for Cal to not <laughs> attempt to offense this year. They should really go to the water polo offense. When it's their turn to possess the ball, just throw it into a corner and get back on defense. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to see them score some points, you know. I, no, it, the only points they should score are on defense. <laughs> and they could. Um, I, Tim DeRuiter is back as defensive coordinator. I think uh, he's challenged his guys to try to, you know, they, they know they, how good they were last year. And it's like that's something he has to keep in mind because you have to make sure that they're not going to just, you know, rest on their laurels and uh, 
make sure that they're still working hard. But you have pretty pretty good confidence that the defense is going to be really freaking good again. Um, how how far will it carry this team? Can the defense carry them all the way to a seven and five season or something? I, it's hard to say, but they got to have some offense. They they got to find some somewhere. No. Yeah, they'll they'll find no. it with interceptions and fumble returns for touchdowns. All right. That's where they're going to find you it. You are so anti. Don't, do, do not find it anywhere else. Maybe Ashton Davis will return another kick for a touchdown. Yeah. You don't know. These things can happen. All right, but let's talk about that defense, okay? Because the offense, I don't want to speak of it anymore. It brings nightmares. Okay. Let's talk about this defense. Because the defense, so the offense, could very well be worse than last year. The defense could very easily be better. So, on the defensive line, they lose two of their top three guys in Chris Palmer and Rusty Becker, but they return literally everyone else who contributed in that depth chart. Yeah. Uh, at linebacker, they lose uh, Jordan Kanashik, so that's bad, but they return all three of their other, uh, you know, starting-ish linebackers. Um, you know, most of that linebacker production is returning. Yeah, Evan Weaver is a stud. He's, he's back. He'll he's an stud. absolute stud. Yeah. Absolute stud. And then, in the secondary, they return their top six players from last year. The only guy in that entire depth chart who's gone is Quentin Tartable. Yeah. And that was a great secondary last yeah, year. Jalen Hawkins, Ashton Davis. Like there's, I mean, Cameron Bynum, yeah. Elijah Hicks, Travion Beck. Like that's, that is a crew and very senior led, you know, four of their top six guys are seniors in that secondary. That's going to be a really, really, really good unit. Yeah. Um, we've had 159 tackles last year. That's a lot. That that's a lot. That's a lot of tackles. <laughs> um, and between him and uh, and Tevin Paul, they had twenty tackles for loss. I think that's more than UCLA had as a team last year. <laughs> so I, I, there's there's reasons to like this um, this 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 Cal defense quite a bit. Like it could be, it, 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 there's a very good chance it's the best defense in the Pac-12 next year. Yeah. Um, and your question up top is the is the right one for this team this year. Will that defense, more or less by itself, be good enough for Cal to go seven and five this year? Yeah. What was it? A ten-seven loss in the Cheez It Bowl? Like I, that's correct. You don't want to have too many games like that, you know? No. If you're Cal, you do. You want to win as many games in single digits as you possibly can <laughs> because you know what that means, Ryan. But you lost. It means that you one. didn't. It means you didn't attempt to offense. <laughs> And if I remember correctly, in the Cheez-It Bowl, they were trying far too hard to offer. They did try too too much. They need to get one of those uh, Australian punters that Utah gets, or uh, I don't know if they, I don't know who their punter is. Um, the USC got one this year where they're just like sixty-five yards in the air, and so you could punt on second down; it's no big deal, and just yeah. flip the field. That that would be a good weapon for this defense if the, they had a punter. This like is. That. That's exactly what Cal should be doing. They should be revisiting things that were popular in the 1920s <laughs> with football. Punt on third down. Punt on second down. Yeah. Do whatever you have to to accentuate your kickers and your defense. Yeah. Get those on the field as much as possible and keep your offense from doing anything. Well, this is uh, S&P Plus. They have them at 60, so kind of in the middle of the pack. The FBI ranks Cal at 55. The schedule, I believe, is 13th. Uh, ranked and uh, it, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. You got six away games. Um, starting off with UC Davis, but the week two you got to go at Washington, who is going to be pissed off because of what happened last year. 
Um, you play North Texas, and they can definitely offense. So that's going to be you got a team that can offense playing a, a t- team that can defense. But week four going on the road at Old Miss, it's like holy cow, man! That, this is not an easy early run uh, of the schedule. But you know they got Stanford on the road, they got Oregon on the road, they got Utah on the road. Um, not it, it, this is not an easy schedule. Um, it's like those. There's probably going to be a lot of coin flips, like you're saying, and you just kind of have to win more of those coin flips than you lose, I guess. Yeah, I mean the schedule. Coupled with the offense most likely being bad again, even if it's a little bit better than last year, it'll still be bad. I'm uh, right now, and I can't even remember what I predicted at the beginning of uh, the summer when we did our picks way too early. Um, but I'm having a hard time seeing six and six here. Yeah, you picked them five and seven, I think. Yeah, yeah. and honestly, five and seven, they're going to have to win quite a few coin flips. Like, so if you look at this right now, they're going to be favored over UC Davis, right? Yeah. They're going to be f- probably favored over North Texas, I'd imagine. Um, a- ASU, I don't see them favored in that game. Yeah, I'll probably Maybe, be close. Maybe, at home. Yeah. Maybe. But pick them, right? So favored at UC Davis, favored at North Texas, pick them against Arizona State. They'll be favored against Oregon State. Uh, pick them at Wazoo. Pick them Wazoo at home. Yeah, maybe? probably. Okay, call it pick them. Uh, USC at home. Probably not favorite. It depends where USC is at that point, though. Uh, at Stanford, not. not, not at UCLA. Maybe a pick them. Maybe yeah. Okay, so you're talking about three games where they're favored. Yeah. UC Davis, North Texas, and Oregon State. They should win all three of those. And then you're talking about ASU, Washington State, USC, and UCLA that are all pick ems so to get to seven and five, they have to either crush those pickums or take one of, or you know, go sweep through those pickums or go three and one and take one of at Washington, at Oregon, at Utah, at Stanford. Yeah, and they they. I mean, it's a tough road. It is, and they miss Arizona and Colorado, so that's not it's, ideal. Yeah, not ideal. Stanford has a much better miss than a uh, couple of misses for the South than uh, Cal does. So, yeah. I, I feel like it's going to be one of those roller coaster seasons. Like they're going to get a win or two. They're like, oh, amazing. And then they're going to like lose a 10 7 game somewhere that they shouldn't have lost. Like maybe even like an Oregon State or something. You're like, how did they lose to that? You know, it uh, very much sets up for the classic Cal season, which is win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, <laughs> win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Like all they need to do to do, to do that would be beat UC Davis, beat North Texas, beat ASU, beat Oregon State, beat Washington State, and beat Stanford. That's funny. I actually have that would not be that would not be ridiculous at all if they went six and six doing the win loss change off the whole way through. My prediction was six and six, and I have them win loss win loss win loss win like, and at the end they go win loss loss win. So like it's like almost the exact same thing. Yeah. So it could happen that way. We'll see. It, it sure could. You sure had them could. finishing with three straight losses. So um, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. All right, well, watch the defense because it's going to be fun. My boy, Tim DeRuiter, he's going to have a good time back there, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a weird team. I want to bring up one last thing just as a numbers game thing. You said they were 60th in S&P+. That doesn't tell the whole story. 60th, you'd think, oh, it's an average team. They're average. Projected offense rank, 125th. Projected defense rank, 5th. Whoa. It's just, it's incredible. It's just incredible. I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. That's (laughs) pretty nuts. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that is we did the so we're done with the Pac-12 uh, North teams. We'll switch. We yeah, we'll switch now. We're gonna start to do the South teams. So we'll do two more today. These teams uh, we could probably do in our sleep because they're the teams we cover. Uh, I guess we'll start with the team I cover, USC Trojans. All right. I mean, do you want me to talk about USC? Well, I can talk about USC. Well, I could, do you want to lead off? What do you want to do? Yeah, I mean, I can I can start off there. So five and seven uh, last year, a lot of changes between what you saw at the end of the season and now Clay Helton, head coach, is trying to change the culture uh, of the team. Not sure if it's going to be successful, but from what I've seen in practice, it definitely looks different. Um, they have a new strength and conditioning coach and if this is better for football or not, they're bigger guys now. They're they're definitely changed their bodies. It, if, if anything, it'd be a more physical type of team. I think it's a team that got pushed around in the trenches the last couple of years. If they can stop that, stem that tide, that, that would probably be a, an overall positive uh, thing. There's a brand new offense with Graham Harrell. Uh, he's the former offensive coordinator for North Texas. If you remember, he's a Mike Leach disciple and uh, was going to coach in high school. And then Mike Leach hired him to be, I think the receivers coach. He ended up getting the offensive coordinator job a few years back at North Texas. Um, and uh, just with Seth Luttrell there, who's also an offensive minded guy and uh, should be different air raid type of system than what you see at Washington state. They're not going to run the, they throw the ball 70% of the time. It'll probably be more like a 55, 45, kind of split so far in the offseason. I think the passing game has actually looked good. It's made all four quarterbacks look good, uh, which hadn't really happened in practices before. We haven't seen a whole lot out of the run game, though. But I, I, if anything, I think it's a very quarterback-friendly offense. And you know, guys like JT Daniels are benefiting from that. And they have a really studly group of wide receivers. I think it's the best in the Pac-12 and uh, probably you know top three in the country. Um, Michael Pittman's a senior. He's back. Um, Tyler Vaughn's former five-star. He's back. Uh, Amon Ross A. Brown was a true freshman last year and just a stud. He probably will lead the team in receiving uh, this year. And uh, they bring in a guy like Drake London, who's a basketball player, and I'm just watching him. They're, they're, they're really loaded at wide receiver, so I think that's going to help uh, both of, uh, any of the quarterbacks, whoever ends up winning the job. They had a scrimmage on uh, Saturday and uh, you know, JT Daniels got the most reps. Uh, but the other Matt Fink and Jack Sears actually looked uh, really good too. I think Sears was 20 of 22 with a couple of touchdowns and Fink only threw 10 passes, but he completed them all and had two touchdown passes in one run. Um, so I, I think they're all performing pretty well. My gut is that JT Daniels still ends up winning the job. We might not know until after uh, next week. And on the defensive side, they've, Made some changes as far as uh, still have Clancy Pendergast as defensive coordinator, but they're also um, trying to simplify things because it's going to be a lot younger of a team. I think there's only eight seniors on the entire team. So looking up and down the roster, there's just not a lot of veteran leadership. They're going to rely on young guys. So I think they're going to rotate more on defense. I think they'll uh, – yeah, the, the biggest question is in the secondary where they lost a lot of veteran leadership. Uh, they had a whole bunch of guys that were injured in the spring, but they're all back. And a guy like Talano Hufunga, the five-star from Corvallis, I think he's an absolute stud at safety. Um, Elijah Griffin, I think he's had five interceptions so far in fall camp. So the uh, sophomore cornerback, I think he's established himself as 
someone to watch. So I, they have, I think, really good depth on the defensive side of the ball, um, just kind of with, with pieces they put together and how it works. I'm curious to see. But it's, uh, I think they've said and done some of the right things, Dave, as far as the offseason goes. But once you get punched in the mouth, because the early part of the schedule is really tough, do you just wilt, you know, just wilt or do you, like, bounce back and, and, and play well? I, I don't know. It's, but you're gonna, you don't know? We're, we're going to know a lot in the first few you, weeks of the season. Have you seen a Clay Helton coach team before? I, I have. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they won the Rose Bowl with him. They won the Pac-12, you know? like They won, they won the Rose Bowl with Sam Darnold. I, I think that's fair. But they have a lot of talent still. Like, it's not like they're probably still the most talented team in the conference. So even and Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And if you look at if you look at the tools you need for an air raid offense, it's basically a quarterback with some ability, sort of, but mostly receiving talent and uh and USC has that in spades. Yeah. Uh, I mean and returns it's not just that those guys are super talented. They're all like the the top four returning guys too. I mean Tyler Vaughn, Zaman Ryan, State Brown, Michael Pittman, and, and Velas Jones. Is Velas Jones back? Yeah, he came he's back. back. He right? was a transfer portal guy and yeah. uh, speed yeah. guy. Yeah, he's 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 gonna be helpful for them too. I don't even think about him. Yeah. So I mean that's that is a luxury. And I you can see why it was probably enticing for Graham Harrow, even as a potential one year rental, maybe. Um but even in that context, um coming into that kind of talent at receiver and at quarterback, that's a real showcase opportunity for his offense. And then, so if I have a question on the offense, it's got to be the offensive line for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chuma, Chuma Odega, Edoga, uh, Toa Lobendon, and Chris Brown all gone. Um, so who are the bodies that you're thinking are going to replace those guys? Yeah, so that, I mean, it's a big question because they don't, they're not actually using an air raid kind of offensive lineman to uh, coach. They have Tim Drevno, who moved over from running backs. So he hasn't really coached in this kind of system before, but uh, it looks like it'll probably be Austin Jackson starting at left tackle again. He was a stud last year. He ended up donating bone marrow, though, to save his sister's life. So he's not really been doing as much because he had to get like three holes in his back. Uh, it's a surgery that he had to do. He did that like a month yeah. or so ago. Um, but he should be back probably by the beginning. So he's in there, um, I think, at right tackle – Probably going to be either Jalen McKenzie or they also have uh, a graduate transfer from Tennessee, Drew Richmond, who started 25 games. Uh, Drew's actually been playing left tackle too, but he's he'll kind of help out there. I think they're going to be better at center with Brett Nealon because he's just snapping the ball better than Toa Lobendon did, and that's one of those things Clay Helton never uh, replaced him. And what's what's uh, Clay's uh, love level with Brett Nealon? Yeah, not. I think he's getting away from the the love of my life sort of thing. He's saying all the positions are open, competition and stuff. So I I think without saying it, he's like, yeah, we can't do that again because you feel bad. You say J T. Daniel stunk every time he had to catch the snap. It was like over his head or to his side. He never really had like a decent snap that he could just get flowing in the offense. And then at guard, uh, Andrew Voorhees was up and down last year, but he's you know, one of the more experienced guys coming back. Uh, and then probably Elijah Vera Tucker, who I haven't seen a whole lot of. He'll probably start at the other guard spot. But I, I kind of like their their front five, but we just haven't seen – I haven't seen them, like, you know, just push people around in practice yet. And uh, I don't know if they will be able to the games. I, th I think the, the passing offense will be good. They got good running backs, but will it be able to open up holes with this offensive line? I, I'm just not sure yet. And then uh, at running back, you said you haven't seen much from them so far, but um, how, how is Malapai 
looking? And is Stephen Carr, how's he looking? You know, we, I remember watching Stephen Carr in seven on seven stuff and being like, oh, wow, he's Royce Freeman. Um, you know, slightly, maybe a little bit smaller, but he's Royce Freeman and he hasn't quite gotten going in college yet. So I'm interested to see how he's doing. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, he ended up having like a back injury and just didn't look like himself last year. He had flashes of that his freshman year. He's a junior now. Clay Helton said he thinks he's hundred percent back. I talked to him. He said he's hundred percent back, but it's, it's really going to depend on that back of his, no pun intended. But, uh, if he has that kind of flash and that burst, in this offense, he can be a, a nightmare, just mismatching all over the place. Uh, they don't want you to take off and run as a quarterback. They want you to dump the ball off. And if you're dumping it off to a guy like Stephen Carr, I mean, he can break anything. Um, so he's he's really good. Malpe have been uh, banged up a little bit. But Marquis Stepp, the redshirt freshman uh, from Indiana, is a 230-pound running back. And Mike Jinks, the running back coach, hasn't seen a guy like him, hasn't really used a guy like him in the in the air raid. And uh, he's been doing really well. He probably has the biggest plays from out of the running back spot so far in camp. And he did the same thing in the spring. So um, not, not, they're not used to having a big back in this, in this offense, but he, he's someone to watch out for. I think he's got a lot of potential too. All right. So, yeah, I mean, defensively, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, I, I would say like the front area looks pretty good, but that secondary, um, I mean, obviously it's USC. They recruit secondary talent. So there's lots of young guys who, you know, have a lot of talent, um, but that's going to be a question mark um, heading into the season. But the biggest question mark, I think, what's going to happen at punter? Oh, dude, he's uh, he might be the MVP of the team, Ben Griffiths. He's so he's, I think he's twenty seven or twenty eight years old. He was a high draft pick in the Australian League football, um, Australian Football League or whatever, and uh, ended up uh, retiring last year because of concussions. But you just see him punt the ball. It's like it's ridiculous. It's like uh, you know, watching Mitch Wisnowski from from Utah just absolutely destroying these balls, and can do it like five different ways. You know, he can put backspin on it, all this stuff. He's just this crazy tall, fast athlete out there that's punting the football around. Uh, I think that's a could be a big deal because USC's offense sputtered so much last year. There was a lot of three and outs, and then they didn't have a punter that could flip the field. Um, so they might the drive might stall at the twenty five. And you can barely get the ball to the other side of the field. You know, it's like the other team starting in midfield. Now, if your offense sputters, like you could still pin him inside 20 with a guy like that. So I think it's a, a big deal to have an Australian punter like that or somebody that's like really good. USC hasn't had anyone. They had an Australian punter that just was like an average guy. This dude's not an average guy. So just listening to, if you just listen to him punt the ball and practice, you're like, yeah, that's, that's different than what anyone else does. Yeah. All right, so let's look at this schedule. Okay. All right? So USC, um, so do you have the schedule rank in front of you? I do. It's uh, So FPI schedule rank number two, and their S&P Plus rank is 29. Their FPI rank is 25. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, number two schedule. So is that, hard? That's, that easy ha- or hard? I don't know which way they go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right, so let's run through this right now because it is um it's it's daunting especially to start out with so it's fresno state to start the season fresno state which was an elite team last year, 12 wins and won the mountain west yes yeah and they should drop off this year but maybe not that much uh stanford week two we have a divided opinion on stanford um but should at least be a dangerous team for usc 
uh, at BYU, and this should be a BYU team that will most likely be right around where it was last year, maybe a little bit better, yeah. um, and they had improved quite a bit last year. Um, so that's a tough roadie. Uh, then Utah at home, then at Washington, mm-hmm. and then at Notre Dame. Yeah. That's the first six <laughs> games that USC has to play this year. They, There is a scenario where they could lose each and every one of those. Yes. Uh, BYU, I forget, was it, is it Travis Watkins? I forget the quarterback's name. You are going to ask me that guy's name until I actually look it up for you, aren't you? I, did, aren't you? I always remember it, and then I forget it because I don't talk about him. For Zach like Wilson. Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. Not at all Travis Watkins or whatever you just Where did me. I say Travis Watkins? Where did that come from? That was a former USC player. Um, he was, <laughs> like, perfect in the bowl game with, like, 370 yards and three touchdowns and stuff. They were playing a lot better at the end of the season. And BYU's September is three Pac-12 teams at home. They play Utah, USC, and Washington at home. And then they go on the road and play Tennessee and Knoxville. Um, If you had to look at those four games, what I tell USC fans, if you're a BYU fan... What's your best chance of winning? The, <laughs> the you're talking about you have two division winners, Utah and Washington, right? Um, Tennessee, that's probably going to be decent this year. Tennessee should be better, and that's that's three thousand miles away in Knoxville, which is crazy. Or USC at home, like USC at home might be their best chance to get a win in the month of September, which is insane. So they'll they'll definitely be up for the challenge. And for the people that say Fresno State's going to drop off. There's what I would say is like, yeah, they're, they're losing a lot of production from last year's squad. But two years ago, they won 10 games. Last year, they won 12 and won the, you know, won the conference. But three years ago, before Jeff Tedford took over, they had won one game. So whatever Tedford took over, he took them from one win to 10. So even if you lose some production, I'm not expecting them to go to six and six or anything. Like They should still be a really good team. Um, so all of those games, like you said, David, are losable for USC. Yeah, and okay, so and then it's like, oh, okay, well, that first six, that was tough, but the last six, those are, like, super easy, and it's still kind of not. I mean, they have to play Oregon, they have to go at ASU, and they have to go at Cal. Yeah, and they play Colorado, like, on a Friday night, you know. On a Friday night on the road at Buffs? Yeah. I mean, there isn't a game in here where you're like, okay, USC should win that by 21. No. Like, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, if they win one of these games by, like, 17, I'll be kind of, oh, okay, wow, good yeah. job. And, you know, obviously that's from right at this point. Maybe we watch that offense in the first couple of games, and it's like, oh, crap, they're going to beat everybody. Um, you just don't know yeah. right now. Um, and I think, you know, between that secondary, maybe missing pieces on the offensive line, maybe just the first year issues with any offensive scheme when you install it, that's probably going to – hurt them in the early part of the season, but um, there's certainly potential for them to go on the run in the final six. Um, so what's the ideal case scenario for a USC fan? Go one and five, two and four in the first six, lose Clay Helton, then go six and oh, and have a ton of momentum going into the next year. Yeah, that's probably a lot of the fans. If you talk to them, they would probably say that and there's other ones that just, you know, they want Clay Helton to do well. They want to come out and win some of these games. And people ask me on radio all the time, well, like, I, what will it take? Y- you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, five and seven, should he should have been fired, and he wasn't. So who the heck knows? Like, if they start off two and four, my guess is you fire them, you know, in the middle of the season. But I don't I don't know if they the, will. The, let's be honest. The worst-case scenario is nine and three, right? 
Eight, eight and four or nine and three? Because if you keep him at eight and four, that's probably worse than if you keep him at nine and three. Sure, sure. But okay, so eight and four or nine and three. So I'm ruling out the possibility they can go eleven and one or twelve and zero. Sure. Like I'm just ruling that out, yeah. throwing it away. So if they're not doing that and if they're not having a clearly elite season, like if I was a USC fan, I'd be rooting for absolute catastrophe in those first six games. Like just lose, 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 lose. Zero yeah. and six, then go six and six and zero. Make a bowl game, crush whoever you're playing in the bowl game, be seven and six, and everyone will be saying, Oh my gosh, they're the most dangerous seven and six team ever. They're gonna be so good next year. Like that's what you want. You don't want you don't want to mess around with an eight and four, nine and three. Yeah. No. Don't 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 have that result. No. And that's what's gonna happen, and it's unfortunate and sad for you. It's tough too, because like we said, Fresno State BYU, I think, are good teams, and those are like must win, don't even think about it. Like, you're not going to get credit for beating them, and you'll get crushed if you lose to them. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not going to be easy. I, th- I think Clay Holton's, you know, he probably needed to make a bunch of moves after the 2017 season. He did not. Um, when they won the Pac-12 but looked bad against, like, the power teams like Notre Dame and, and Ohio State, he waited a year. They went 5-7, and seven, and now it's kind of moves out of desperation. Uh, so we'll see if it's if it's too little, too late, um, and there, there's no there's no rest because you got to come out of the gate swinging, and uh, we'll see if they're able to. Who knows? Yep, absolutely. So let's move on. Uh, the other team that uh, our duo hosts cover is UCLA Bruins. All right, so UCLA first year of Chip Kelly uh, didn't go maybe. Anywhere near as well as anyone would have hoped. Uh, finished three and nine. Uh, by the end of the season, the offense was showing signs of life. Um, was, you know, finished ranked fiftieth in S and P plus. But the offense that showed up over the final six to eight games looked more like a top twenty-five offense. It looked more like the kind of offensive efficiency you would expect from a Chip Kelly coached uh, football team. Um, but it was it was a disaster to start the season. Uh, first four to six games were not good. Um, the defense was uh, not quite Cal-level travesty, but not good. Uh, finished 97th in S&P+. Plus. Um, there were a lot of mitigating factors, tons of injuries to linebacker. Um, they were playing, to start the season, they were playing their third string inside linebacker uh, because their two guys in the depth chart ahead of them both went down with season-ending injuries. Um, so they took some lumps defensively. But it was also uh, UCLA just had absolutely no pass rush. When Jalen Phillips went down, um, they weren't able to get one through the scheme or through individual pass rush. Uh, Blitzes were ineffective, um, and they still kept trying them. Um, It was uh, curiously called defense um, for a lot of the year, um, and it didn't seem to marry quite well to the talent. They also played a ton of youth. Uh, The defensive line was very freshman and sophomore dominated, um, and for that they also – Struggled a bit, especially against the run. But um, even the pass defense, because of that lack of pass rush, wasn't great, even though the secondary um, was actually pretty good on their merits. It was just uh, you can only cover guys for so long. So that was kind of the complexion of the team last year. Um, And for better or worse, uh, most everybody returns this year. Um, At quarterback, they drop Wilton Spate, who took about half the – snaps and starts last year, uh, but they returned the other guy who took half the snaps and starts last year in Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And Thompson-Robinson, you know, on balance, maybe only a hair behind Spate last year as a performer, and that's considering he was a he was horrible to start the year. 
but the two best games, given the quality of the opponent um, all season from a quarterback, probably came from Thompson Robinson. He was great against Washington, very good against Cal, um, and then also very good against Arizona before getting dinged up. Um, Austin Burton's behind him in the depth chart, but uh, the one to watch is Colson Yankoff. Uh, there's been a little bit of controversy. I don't know if you saw anything. About yes, he uh, he uh, he wasn't cleared to uh, transfer or be eligible yeah, by Chris ba- Peterson. Basically, basically, you know how the NCAA's essentially relaxed a lot of its rules with transfers and all that junk. Chris Peterson's holding to the old kind of style of of rule about this, and 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 basically not approving any sort of waiver for him to even appeal to the NCAA to get immediately eligible. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know if there's any movement on that. I don't think there will be. So he's probably sitting out the year, even though he's redshirted last season um, at Washington. But I guess it's something to watch to see if he uh, if he can get eligible. I don't see him competing with Thompson Robinson to start, especially at this point. Um, but still, it would provide some nice depth because really the guys behind the guy behind him, Chase Griffin, he's not ready. True freshman. Uh, you know, it's a question whether he'll ever be ready. He's kind of a a shorter, um, less arm talented player. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the quarterback spot running back. Uh, Joshua Kelly's gotten a little dinged up in practice, but he should be, if not good to go at the very start of the season, pretty early in the season. Uh, it's been reported as a minor near knee injury. Um, and he was obviously a kind of a revelation last year. Uh, the former walk on from UC Davis who came out and, uh, was a super stud, uh, Martel Irby behind him will probably get the start if uh, if Kelly isn't available to start the year. Um, but Kelly's been working back in. Um, he was doing kind of some exercise bike work this week after not doing a whole lot last week. So um, we'll see where he is in a week or two. Uh, in the receiving game, they dropped Caleb Wilson. Uh, he graduated, and he was you know their main guy last year. But they returned basically everyone else. Theo Howard, Demetri Felton, Michael Ziki, uh, Chase Coda. Again, it's a bunch of young dudes aside from Theo Howard. Uh, essentially no one's going to graduate in this group. Um, it's a lot of sophomores and juniors. Um, they've got some size. Ziki especially gives them a 6'5 target. Chase Cota is pretty big at 6'4. Um, Devin Asiasi is going to take over for Caleb Wilson, and you remember him from, yeah. uh, from recruiting days. Tons of talent. Um, started out at Michigan, transferred to UCLA. This will be kind of his first showcase season. So we're really interested to see what he looks like because he's been getting tons of hype basically since he entered the program. And he looked good in limited flashes last year, but, you know, he's going to be counted on to uh, significantly multiply his production this year. Um, The offensive line uh, basically loses Andre James, returns everybody else. Um, I think there's a chance the starting group's actually going to be better than last year. Uh, The question is who's going to be behind anybody. Um, Right now it's going to be most likely um, from left to right, Alec Anderson was a redshirt freshman, the one guy who didn't play last year. Um, and then uh, Michael Alves um, at center, Boss Tagaloa, Christofani Murray at right guard, and Jake Burton at right tackle. Burton looked like the best offensive lineman on the team in spring, uh, which was really something because he was the guy who was like more or less platooning at right tackle last year with Justin Murphy. So he was like either the fifth or sixth best guy last year, and he – looked like the best guy this spring, which is usually a really good sign when somebody makes a leap like that. Um, Not a lot of depth so there, right? Like at the, on the line disaster, like really, really, really bad. Um, so those five guys, and then Sean Ryan, the true freshman, we're penciling him in as he's going to have to contribute. 
And then it's just open question after open question. Uh, Sam Marazzo was the walk-on that we liked, who played a little bit last year, but he got hurt in practice, and we don't know what his status is. Uh, Chip Kelly isn't very forthcoming about injuries. We just know it's a leg injury. didn't look great. Um, then you got Baraka Beckett. Um, he's a redshirt freshman as well who you know has shown some flashes, but he's undersized. There's a lot of imperfect options after that top 5-6. Um, so pretty good if there's no injuries quickly gets bad if there are any um so the offense is kind of like that um i think if if there's no quarterback injury if there's no offensive line injury this offense could really hum it could be a top 25 group uh but if there are any if if dorian thompson robinson goes down for an appreciable amount of time if joshua kelly goes down for an appreciable amount of time if more than one offensive lineman goes down for any time any amount of time um it's going to get ugly yeah. uh, or it has a, it has a really good chance to uh-huh. um, not a, not a great defense from last year, right? Like what's uh, who's coming but back. They return everybody. That's they good. return everybody, Ryan. Yeah. That's the most important thing, right? When you got a bad unit, you want to return everybody. <laughs> um, so the uh, pretty much the entire starting defensive line from the end of last year returns. Uh, Oso Digazua, Tyler Manoa, Otito Ogbania, Tony Omafi, um, and all these guys were either sophomores or freshmen last year. So they're all back. Um, I think the defensive line will actually take a step up because it was true. They were playing a lot of inexperience last year and guys who showed flashes. Um, the question is, they're, they're, I still don't see where the pass rush is coming from. They, they got a transfer from Illinois State. Uh, this Jason Harris guy who's, you know, reportedly – He's got a little bit of ability as a pass rusher. I'm going to have to see it because in at Illinois State, it wasn't like he was producing a ton of sacks. Um, so the, And when you're counting on – what is Illinois State? An FCS school? When you're counting on an FCS tra- uh, transfer to um, you know really boost your pass rush, things aren't going well for you. Well, um, it worked last year with Joshua Kelly. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but he, was, he, was, he, was com- he came in uh, two years ago. But, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. No, it's totally right. Um, and then at linebacker, uh, it's a very senior-laden group. So Chris Barnes, Tyree Thompson, uh, Josh Woods, uh, Lokene Tuoaloa, all seniors. Um, they're going to be top four, top five guys on the team this year. Um, Keyshawn Lucier-South is more than likely going to miss at least three games due to some eligibility issues. Um, assuming he's back, he could be back by conference play, um, and he'd boost the pass rush a little bit. Uh, but without him, that pass rush is going to – they're going to have a really hard time finding pressure. Um, so secondary, um, Darnay Holmes, uh, I think by the end of the year we'll be talking about him as right there with Paul Sinadibo as the best corner in the league. Uh, he's he's really good. And what, what's interesting about Darnay is he combines, you know, that world-class athleticism that we all saw in high school um, with the work ethic of a walk-on. Like he will – he is a – dog and just will put in a ton of work yeah um, that's and a great gotten, combination yeah that's great he's gotten so much better each offseason um freshman year a little bit rough at times sophomore year already a lockdown corner um and this year i, I mean i think a, a lot of people are expecting him to just blow everyone's socks off and, and be a early entry first rounder um after his junior season so and next to him, Elijah Gates was really good last year at corner. Uh, Quentin Lake was really good at free safety. Um, they lose to Darius Pickett, um, and Stephen Blaylock is more than likely going to take over that job. Um, the question is, can 
can they deal with whatever lack of pass rush um, the front provides this year? Um, I think the scheme is going to have to be a little bit more uh, aggressive in tackling and getting up to the line of scrimmage just to prevent bigger plays. Um, but it's going to be hard for them to have a great defense if they don't have at least some pass rush, um, at least given what we've seen of this scheme so far. You know, Washington can do it without a great pass rush, but just because they have such, such good tackling at, at linebacker every year, no matter what. Um, and UCLA just hasn't had that to this point. So I'm, I, I just don't know. Um, but the, the, the defense at least has the starts and production of a unit that should improve this year. It's just a question of whether it's going to. S&P Plus has uh, Bruins ranked 63rd, so kind of middle of the road, FPI uh, number 20. And uh, the schedule rank, top 10, number 9. Um, there's some tough stretches in this uh, UCLA schedule. Yeah, it's it's very much a schedule that could go a lot of different ways. Um, if you buy that the offense improved a ton and was much better than what it finished last year, then you look at the schedule and you see some opportunities. Um, and that's probably where I am. Like, I think UCLA is going to be quite a bit better this year than they were last year, uh, mostly based on that offense. I think it looks – I think it's going to look a lot more like that offense at the end of last year than the one that started the year. Um, and that changes the complexion of some games. But when you look at the schedule, it is not easy. Um, at Cincinnati to start the year, that's a Cincinnati team that won double-digit games last year um, and didn't lose a whole lot. Like, lost their, you know, a couple great starting defensive tackles. But that offense returns basically everybody. Um, that should be a good Cincinnati team. San Diego State at home. But San Diego State's always, you know, frisky at worst um, and potentially very good. Uh, Oklahoma at home. <laughs> Wait, are they good? Um, I think they're good. Yeah. They're they're pretty good. We'll see if they can generate a third straight different Heisman winner this oh, year. Okay. Um, but that'll be interesting to see. Then at Washington State and at Arizona. That's the opening five gate stretch. Let me repeat: at Cincinnati, San Diego State at home, Oklahoma at home, at Washington State, at Arizona. So, in that stretch, they're probably going to be favored in. It depends on what they look like by the time the Arizona games right comes around, but right now, one game, San Diego State. Wow. Yeah, that's that's kind of when you think of it that way. It's like, yep, that's good. That's probably right. So when you look at that, if they can go two and three, that's probably about par if we're talking about it in golf terms. And if they can do three and two or better, that's really good. And I think that sets them up for a really good run at a bowl game, really good run at seven and five. Because after Arizona, it's Oregon State at home, which they should beat. At Stanford, which, again, if you're of my thinking, you think Stanford's going to drop off a little bit, that's a really winnable game. UCLA almost beat them last year. Um, ASU at home, which should be a pick at worst. Colorado at home, which should be a pick at worst. There's a chance they could go four and zero right after going two and three, three and two. Yeah. And if they can do that, then the final three games of the year don't really matter, and that's a good thing because it's at Utah, at USC, and then Cal at home. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a really really interesting season because I can see our thinking on these games changing quite a bit based on how UCLA looks to start the year. Like if that offense looks as bad as it started out last year to start out this year, then. Yeah, the whole the whole thing changes. Yeah. Um, if they sustain a bunch of offensive line injuries, the whole thing changes. Um, but right now, if you if you told me, oh, they're going to suffer one injury on the offensive line, Dorian Thompson Robinson will be healthy most of the year. 
and I'm probably going seven and five. So you're saying this is the first time this century UCLA will beat Stanford. You're, that's what you're calling right now. Yes. <laughs> it's not been a century, but it's been it's been a. I mean, it's been like a decade. Most of this, most of this century, most of this young century has been UCLA losing to Stanford. Yeah. More than a de- like more than is it like ten years or something in a row, or it's like it's more. I don't know if it's. I think it's nine years in a row, ten games in a row. Okay, I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, but six away games, so again, not easy when you're talking about have to go on the road to play a good uh, out of conference game in Cincinnati, and then hosting a really good Oklahoma squad. Maybe positive missing Oregon and Washington. That's that's probably good. The two favorites yeah. in the North, so that's not terrible. Not terrible. That's true. You're correct. Um, yeah, there's some potential there. It's just, do you feel like it's going to be one of those? It's it's like a you know puncher's chance in some of these games and six and six or seven and five and just not maybe you're not sure at the end of the season like what what this team really is or how do you feel it's going to go? I think if they if they finish seven and five, I think everyone who had a reasonable sense of where this team was would have a really positive impression of the season. Yeah, um, g- getting seven and five out of this means okay. That means okay, you're definitely losing to Oklahoma, right? Um, and then you're losing four more in here, probably at Utah, um, one of at Washington, at Arizona, maybe at USC, um, and call it Cal at the end of the year. But that still means you're beating Cincinnati on the road, San Diego State, one of Washington State, Arizona on the road, Oregon State, uh, Stanford on the road, ASU, Colorado. Yeah. Like, that's – that's suddenly UCLA being a respectable football team again, and they were not that last year. Um, and it sets you up for – and if you do look ahead at UCLA's future schedule for 2020, this is going to be, again, a, it's a very sophomore and freshman-laden squad. So they're all more or less coming back next year too. Um, and 2020 sets up with a really easy schedule. So I think the 7-5 and five would feel like, oh, okay, wow, they're really building something now. 10 and two is or 11 and one even is on the horizon. Yeah. Um, so no, I think they, they need to, they need to get to a bowl game this year. I think that is kind of the test for, for Kelly as getting six wins with the schedule, which isn't going to be completely easy, but I think that's what they need to do. All right. Well, I think it's going to wrap it up for UCLA and all of our California school previews. We'll be back next week talking about, Uh, the Arizona schools and the uh, mountain schools. So we're going to take a real quick break, come right back and uh, answer your questions. We'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launcher Online Shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All right, David, ready to do some questions? I was born ready to do some questions, Ryan. Nice. Um, where should we start? We had, let's see, I think we had a text message first. Um, Howard Hawks famously said that a great film is, quote, three great scenes and no bad ones. Uh, okay, I guess we're getting off the, st- we're still in the off-topic stuff. <laughs> Which got me thinking, that is... Uh, that it's possible that the same is true of great college football coaching staffs. Three great coaches and no bad ones. Thoughts? And they also want to know, he wanted to know our favorite movie and uh, three great scenes from each of those. But do you think, I, I kind of think that's true. If you have three great coaches and no bad ones, you're probably doing all right. Yeah, I, I, that seems right. Like rule of thumb type deal. Yeah, you want your head coach to be great. Probably at least one of your coordinators to be great. And then at least one great recruiter, probably. Yeah. Or yeah, I think that's right. I think that's pretty good. That seems seems fair. Do you have a fa- favorite movie? It's hard for oh, me to man. say. It's so I hard. hate those. I hate those questions. I mean, I could say something like Indiana Jones and the t- like. So like. Yeah, awesome. like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. No. Man, <laughs> Not Temple of Doom. Did you say Temple of? I Doom? I didn't mean Temple of Doom. No, and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, obviously. Raiders. They're both good. I, so I like. I, I have like nostalgia for like Last Crusade because I used to watch it as a kid a bunch. But yeah, I mean Raiders is a better movie. Yeah. Um. I mean, any, like the yeah. opening when you're just like you know trying to get the idol, like that's pretty awesome scene, and, and you're you're running out there, and um, you know the boulders chasing you, and there's tarantulas oh, that, everywhere, and that's pretty awesome. Whenever you have a set piece like that boulder thing that has been referenced in probably a dozen other different movies that are also big blockbusters, it's that's that's pretty. I mean, if you watch Guardians of the Galaxy, that whole starting thing with Chris Pratt is basically that Raiders thing. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, so many visual cues taken from that. Um, and there's actually a, I think it was Soderbergh did a, um, uh, like a uh, an edit of it where he was like, I'm just going to turn Raiders into a silent movie so you can see just how masterful this movie is just from like a production standpoint because you still get everything. Oh, wow. Like you still understand everything. Um, and that was cool. Um, when they do the, uh, I think this might have been in Temple of Doom, but when, so the, you got the guy with the sword in front of Indy and then he just yeah. pulls out, he's doing this crazy sword like, um, not dance, but like display, and he just shoots them. Um, yeah, and have you ever read the story about that? No. So they got this guy to do that sword thing, and like tr- he was training for weeks or whatever to do the whole thing. But Harrison Ford got sick that day, 
or something on set? And he's like, I, I can't do it. What if I just shoot him? And they're like, okay. <laughs> so, like, this iconic scene, this, like, this, like, pure image of Indiana Jones was just kind of a, oh, I was sick that day, and I just couldn't handle it. So I just shot him instead. Yeah. And then one of the it's other movies, so- like, he look, reaches down and doesn't have a gun, when, so he has to run uh, when, when that happens. But uh, I, I think Big Bang Theory kind of ruined Indiana Jones when, did we talk about this before? Where, uh, do you ever watch that? No. The, the the blossom girl or whatever the one that is, is Sheldon's girlfriend the genius's girlfriend she basically said like he they make her watch it and she's like Indiana Jones doesn't mean it like he was uh, inconsequential to the entire movie like if he did nothing the movie would turn out exactly the same and and they just blew all the the, the nerds minds they're like oh god that's true because um, really like yeah all that stuff he did like did it really matter they just would have opened the arc and. It, it, it didn't really matter what he did. Right. Yeah. Right. So it kind of ruins yeah. the movie. It doesn't ruin it. <laughs> no, it I mean, doesn't. Whatever. <laughs> Who cares? They still had that really cool fight scene on the bomber plane with the big fat guy and uh, Indiana Jones fisting it out. Oh, um, that's that's really good. When he gets... Uh, uh, yeah, he gets shredded by the propeller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, pretty awesome. Yeah, Raiders is great. Uh, I mean, original Star Wars we've talked about. I think that's... Yeah, so many know. good original Star Wars ones. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Stuff. That's all right. Let's move Whatever. on. Yeah. We don't need to talk movies forever on this thing, but it would be more fun. <laughs> all right. Here's here's Frank. I have the Pac-12 Network's broadcast schedule figured out. Larry Scott is channeling Jim McKay and the ABC show Wide World of Sports from the 60s and 70s. See if this intro does not explain a rerun of a rowing or cross-country competition at noon on a summer Saturday on the Pac-12 Network. And he linked a video. Yeah, so that's the if you remember the uh, the agony of defeat, the video. It's like just a thirty second commercial, and they show like the big weightlifter guy uh, cleaning something over his head. They show the skier. The, the the agony of defeat was the skier like coming off the ski jump and just flailing all over the place. Um, and there, so there was a lot of like kind of fringe sports. It, it kind of it sort of feels like NBC now because they have the Olympics, so they show a lot of that stuff. Uh, I think. That's what they were doing then. They were trying to show like this broad thing of sports. Now you want to say, hey, we got football. Like you're not, unless you're NBC and you have the Olympics, you're not touting uh, weightlifting or ski jumping or things like that. That's, that's more of a whoever, whatever network has the Olympics would show that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. This is a grad transfer. Well, this is long. Hey, guys. A few months ago, you made an offhand comment implying that grad transfers to law schools or business schools were categorically uh, infeasible. Uh, is it true that I can't think of any? Oh, it's true that I can't think of any examples of a law student also playing D one football. Are you aware of any specific rule against this practice? Do you know? I don't know. No, no, I don't think there's a rule against it. I think um, generally what it is is. Uh, grad schools that at least reputable universities, um, they're not going to want to take somebody who's not going to finish their program. And law school is a three-year deal. Um, very few grad transfers are coming in with three years of eligibility remaining. And most of them are coming in with designs on making the NFL, even if they don't make it. Yeah. Um, so I would see law school, and that's at the three-year end. I think business schools, I mean, if you're in an MBA program especially, isn't that like a five-year deal? Three year? I don't I know. Think it's, Whatever I think it is. could be two, but if you're working, then it could be longer. 
Right. Um, so I don't. I, I think it's more just a feasibility thing. I don't think there's an actual rule against it. Yeah. He says, having gone to UCLA undergrad in law school, it doesn't seem that crazy. Even during the first year of law school, the total number of class hours aren't that different from an undergrad schedule, and they are uh, only one set of finals each semester, which uh, make up the entirety of the grade. Justin, Justin, are you humble bragging right now? Yeah. Are you seriously telling a bunch of 1L, former 1L people out there that first year of law school, not that bad. No, no big deal. (laughs) I know so many damn people who quit law school in their first year because it was such a nightmare. Yeah. Okay. That's humble, anyway. that's humble bragging right there. Um, yeah. I went to UCLA undergrad and law school, and let me tell you, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> While the final exams certainly require a couple of weeks of study, they would happen near Christmas, so the bulk of the season would be over, and the rest of the semester would actually allow for more flexibility, as there would be no actual tests or assignments during the season. While it would obviously only be appropriate for a highly motivated and diligent student, there is obvious upside for the player, as they could probably find fanboys at firms and companies that would hire them, even if their grades suffered and the schools would benefit from increased publicity. I would say that any player that was able to handle a challenging major in undergrad while still playing football, of which there are many, would find law school at least feasible. Do you think we would see anyone do this in the future? I would think for a very specific type of recruit, i.e. Steve Young, this type of arrangement might be attractive. So it would seem to be an advantage worth exploring for certain schools and coaches. Thanks, Justin. And he says, P.S., top three terrible wood take, Woods takes. One is sports gambling. We all know the best way to handle innocuous activities that are potentially dangerous uh, when taken to the extreme is to completely ban them. Two. So, so Justin's not a good listener then. <laughs> because nowhere in what I said about sports gambling did I say that it should be completely banned. What I said was... Why make it even more legal than it already is? Gotcha. So it's already localized to a few different areas as well as whatever you can do online. Why do we need to make it so you have like a console built into the seat at your sporting event where you're already drinking a ton of beer where you can, oh, yeah, let me bet like $400 on this stupid game I'm watching right now. Why do we need that? Tell me. You tell me, Justin. Make the case for it as opposed to just, you know, completely creating a straw man. Yeah. Uh, socialism, he said, uh, number two, interesting that you understand that a free market in labor is obviously beneficial for participants in athletic athletics, but would somehow uh, be an explorative disaster in literally exploitative, sorry, exploitative. exploitative sorry, disaster in literally any other endeavor. So explain yourself again, because there's absolutely no reason why this is counterintuitive either. Um, a, a free market in labor and athletics is great. Because these are, you know, as we've seen through cheating and various other things, these are coveted, you know, skilled workers, I guess you would say. I'm all for, you know, skilled workers having a market for them to go get whatever money they can. Uh, the, the issue with, you know, obviously a free market in other areas is, you know, our, the present state of our economy. For example, Justin, just, you know, throwing out one example where real wages haven't increased in like 40 years. But, you know, whatever. Nice. Enjoy yourself. And three, beer taste. Might want to mix in a tasty IPA once in a while. Uh, yeah, it's fine. Thanks, Justin. Um, he wants my top three, but I, I don't have a lot of time, so we're not going to go over that. That would take too long. Uh, it would take forever, <laughs> and then I'd have to respond. Um, and IPAs, yeah, IPAs are great when you want to just drink a flower. Uh, I love the, uh, the, the stouts, the reds that I got in Ireland. They were pretty freaking awesome. Uh, there was a Smittix. 
Um, it's not, it's spelled like Smithwicks or something, but it's just, they call it Smittix. And, uh, I drank that everywhere I could. They had it on tap all over the place. It was great. They have it on tap everywhere here too. You can get a Smittix wherever you want. Really? I haven't seen it. Yeah. Come on. Come I got to find it then. Yeah. You just got to go find a good, uh, good Irish pub. All right. I'll have Smittix. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is from Mike in Oakland. Uh, two questions, research. Hi, Ryan and Dave. So happy to have the season just around the corner. Uh, Dave, you said you would never email a podcast. Well, I would never have a silly podcast. We must be opposites. Um, I would never have a silly podcast either, Mike. I think he's implying we have a silly podcast. This is a deadly serious <laughs> podcast, Mike. Uh, my two questions. One. I would like to issue a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act, for Ryan to really know if you have more listeners than the Pac-12 Network. (laughs) (laughs) On any given day, maybe. Uh, I don't think we said we have more listeners. I think we said we reach more. We can reach more people. Yeah, our potential, our potential listenership is more. But you know, on like a Tuesday, like when our when our show drops or Monday, whenever we do it, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Wilner did say like that like, Tuesday, sometimes they're... Tuesday in the offseason? Yeah. Wilner said their <laughs> ratings were zero for something, so <laughs> we have better than that. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then, two, this may take some research, so you may have to enlist an intern. Can you assign the appropriate oh. Disney villain to each of the Pac-12 teams' leading <laughs> pass rusher or defender? You can defer to next week's podcast if needed. <laughs> Mike, no. <laughs> no. No. We're not doing that. No. We've opened such a disastrous yeah. box with all of that um anyway keep up the interesting work as always from mike and Oakley. thank you mike uh and w- thank we're you, not going to entertain that no. no um no need to berate all of your listeners hi dave i know you and ryan don't like to answer questions that require a lot of research that said you should probably save your rants for questions that actually require real effort to answer the correct answer <laughs> to how usc was able to play 12 games without going on the road against hawaii is that before the NCAA expanded to 12 games, they had a policy that allowed teams an optional 12th game in years, and he said like 2019, where there was an extra week between Labor Day weekend and Thanksgiving weekend. I know this because I Googled, when did the NCAA start playing 12 games, clicked on the first link and found it while I was still listening to your rant about the question. And he gave us the link. Um, Well, thanks for doing that. So I guess if there- That's exciting, exciting stuff. So the issue with my the issue for me with that question at that moment in time was not that it would require a lot of research to answer, it's that I didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I didn't think anyone else out there should care, and so I made my case, albeit strongly, that we all should collectively not care. However, Matthew, you have proven today that you care. Ryan showed last week that he cared. So perhaps I'm in the wrong. No, I didn't really care, but I was kind of curious, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But um, he, I don't find I don't find that minutia interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I think some sports people really like the minutia and details and history of it all. And I just don't. Yeah. I don't care. Well, he said, here's a question that doesn't require research. Can you guys please rank the, ugh, the Pac-12 mascots in order of which ones would most likely to win a fight? For inspiration, we've done this. Yeah, we've, we've done, done this. this before. Yeah, he said there was a Sports Center video uh, narrated by Charlie Steiner with blow by blow from when the tree and Osk, uh, Osk, what's it, Oski? Is that how you say his name? Oski. Oski. I don't know. Had a fight on the basketball court during a timeout. Um, this is not the off season anymore, people. We are actually previewing the teams. We're not going to be ranking mascots and things like that. Uh, we will if it's a new and original question. Well, we've done but this. I think already. we've done this. I think we've done this twice. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure we've already done this twice. Right. 
Um, and I think it always ends up, is it the bear with laser eyes? If it is, then that probably is winning a lot of things. The sun devil is a mythical creature, so it wins at a pretty high clip. Um, you know, husky, that's middle of the pack. Cougar, middle of the pack. Yeah. Uh, bear, you know, pretty good. Duck, not doing too hot, no. right? Duck, beaver, beavers, not doing great. Guy with a sword yeah. and, like, no real Ute. armor. Yeah, you you're not doing great either. Yeah. You've got no armor. He's got a he's um, got a bow and arrow though, so he might at least have some range potential. He's got some range. Like, I mean, if we're talking like real talk, I mean, it's the duck, the beaver, and then the Trojan's not. That's not great. No, he's a um, sword. Like that's tougher. Yeah, I guess he he might beat the cats and maybe the husky, maybe. But you're not standing up against a buffalo with a sword. No. 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 The bow and arrow, if you had a lot of arrows, you could probably keep away from the buffalo and keep shooting at it and eventually kill it. But Yeah, I mean, they hunted buffalo, so I think that's right. Yeah. Um, but are you going to beat a mythical uh, uh, laser bear? No. No. <laughs> are you going to be able to fight whatever it is that a sun devil is? No. no. That's not going to happen for you. All right. Um, you going to do the next one? Yeah. Yes, I'd love to. This is from Lone Star Dog. Do it up. Lone Star Dog here. This question is coming from across the pond in the temporarily thawed tundra known as Sweden. But first, one point of clarification. In the August 9th podcast, there was a question about Oregon State being preseason number one, which Dave corrected, speculated as number 11. So I di- this wasn't just speculation. I, that was the AP preseason ranking. Um, Oregon State was preseason number one for Sports Illustrated and proceeded to suffer the, pet, the pretty standard SI Jinx week one. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I need to preface my question. Since we are in peak preseason buildup, please bear with me while I let my doog out. Pac-12 media aside, the dogs are favored to win their third conference championship in four years, and this time with a reloaded roster. If the dogs run away with it, Peterson and UW's quickly ascending recruiting machine are poised to own the conference for as long as they want it, or at least if everything stays static. However, the LA schools cannot stay in the gulag forever. USC is a layup urban hire away from being back. And by back, I mean fighting the F on while Herbs covers up domestic, <laughs> domestic assault, murderous tight ends, and extending the Bagman network all the way to Idaho. Idaho. Uh, hi, Tommy Togiai. Uh, UCLA and Chip only need to show a pulse to start raking in his type. 75K of <laughs> undersized speedy guys to almost win it all while his boosters proudly display their blue balls. Once the LA schools are back on their feet, the conference will at least be off life support and it will be a lot of fun. Until then, I hope everyone enjoys kissing Peterson's ring sting. Wow. Oh, oh yeah, the question. When would you guys quit your respective schools? You're at a low point, but it could get worse. Is there a line, or are you stuck forever living a miserable and pathetic life as a Pac-12 fan? Any self-respecting UW fan tried to off their fandom between 2003 and 13. All that's left is a bunch of undead internet half-brains doing a death march to conquer the West for Stalin. Start dog. Oh, wow. All right, so, um, yeah, I loved all your theorizing. Um, so, I... I I've I've done some some thinking on myself as a as a fan um, because you know that's still part of who I am um, and I've done some thinking about this and I think I like it more when the team I'm re- rooting for is bad. <laughs> like I've come to that conclusion because I was in I was I was the biggest Angels baseball fan in the world in the late '90s and early 2000s. There was a year where I think I watched every single baseball game. That was middle school or maybe late elementary school. So I was really cool, as you can imagine. Yeah. Now, I stopped pretty much abruptly after they won the World Series. 
I can tell you right now, after watching an Angels game the other day, that I know maybe four players on the entire team. Wow. I think I just like it when they're bad. <laughs> I think I only like teams when they're kind of bad. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. Yeah. This is my deal. Nice. I, you know, I think if you go to a school – that you just like them no matter what, you know, like that's going to be, now we do it for a living. So it's different. Like we can't really change. Um, but like if someone, if I was going to get paid a lot more money to cover a different school, I probably would do it if I didn't have to leave, like move. But as far as being a fan, like, yeah, I mean, like I grew up a Steelers fan. I don't see myself when they're good, they're bad. It's like, maybe I just don't care as much, but I still will watch Steeler games and get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that question. We have a Pac-12 network mystery. Uh, Dear Ryan and Dave, I think I've solved one of the bigger mysteries regarding the Pac-12 network. You remember, you may remember that in March, the conference mysteriously rejected a distribution offered by ESPN. The deal would have, among other things, put the Pac-12 network on DirecTV immediately. No real explanation of negotiations collapse was given by either side. Instead, the focus was on the Pac-12 seemingly permanent ineptitude about getting on DirecTV. At the time, however, Disney had yet to reveal its plan to bundle a new streaming service with ESPN+. Since then, I've noticed ESPN has been buying the rights to college football games that would appear only on streaming through ESPN+. That other streaming service, uh, cleverly called Disney+, Plus, meanwhile, will carry family-friendly fare, such as animated movies and classic blockbuster films. My guess, uh, though about the March deal is this. ESPN required some Pac-12 games to be only available on ESPN+. Naturally, the conference presidents would have balked to agree, would have meant the Pac-12 network would not have 100% of its content available in the next round of TV deals. And why should they have to help Disney build itself a new and magical kingdom in the streaming world while leaving the Pac-12 itself farther behind? So uh, you see, guys, there, quote, uh, well, I didn't say quote, there is Indeed, a very salient connection between Pac-12 football, DirecTV, Star Wars, and Disney princesses, after all. All this time, you both have uh, acted like these meaningful and deep conversations about Chewbacca's third nipple have been tangential and frivolous, while, in fact, the opposite is true. Live long and prosper, guys. Thomas. Woo! <laughs> all right. Thanks, Thomas. That was, a, that was a mouthful. That was something. That was something. Uh, okay. But, Interesting theory. Yeah, I think Wilner did talk about, though, that it would have been, it, you could have gone on DirecTV, but you were sort of, it was going to be impossible. I think you would have to undercut the other ones. And, and that's kind of been the problem from the beginning. So, uh, yeah, I don't know all the details of it, but the, it probably wasn't the right decision. But it doesn't mean that, like, Pactual is great for saying no. Pactual is bad for being in the position where you had to say no to a terrible deal. Right. All right, you ready for the last yeah. one? Yeah. This is from Brad from Portland. Burning question. Hi, Dave and Ryan. Love what you guys do and have two quick questions. First, as a Utah fan, I find myself being more comfortable playing Stanford than Cal. The Utes are 3-1 and one versus the Cardinal, but only 2-2 two and two versus the Golden Bears. With what Cal did to Washington last year, is there really anything for me to worry about when Cal comes to Salt Lake City? Crazy to think that uh, last time these teams played, game day was there. Second question. Okay, so let's answer that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that level of defense, whenever you're playing against that kind of defense, and especially given Utah's offense over the years, has never been something that blows you away, except for that like four-game stretch in October last year. Um, I think Utah's offense is going to be good enough to handle it this year um, with everything that's returning. But, yeah, I mean, whenever you're playing a, 
a single unit that's as good as Cal's defense is probably going to be this year. I think that's a reason to worry. 100%. Uh, you, you just know that if you don't have your a good offensive day, you're going to get eaten alive. And if they score points on defense, it's going to be even worse. So, yeah, I think Cal should. No, if they score points on defense, that's the only way they'll win. <laughs> Yeah. Because they're not going to win if they try to no offense, offense, as we know. Yes. Uh, yeah. Though certainly, I think it's something that you need to worry about. You might worry more than than Stanford. I think Stanford has a higher ceiling, but Cal can Cal has that potential just because, like Dave said, that elite defense. Yep. Second question: During one of your normal random off-season conversations on the podcast a month or so ago, the two of you were talking about donuts. Dave had mentioned that there was an acceptable time to eat them, but anything after a certain time in the afternoon, it was not okay. Yeah, I think I was making it in context of, like, those boutique donut shops, like, in Portland and stuff, where people get, like, you know, donuts in, like, the early evening, and it's just weird. But, yeah, okay. And that podcast made me wonder if there are any other times of days that – if there are any times of day that are not okay to eat brownies. Does it work in reverse where if you eat them too early in the day, you have issues, or is any time of the day okay? Assume that there are no nuts in the brownies. <laughs> Thanks again for all you guys do. Brad from Portland. Um, no, brownies, eat them all. Eat them all at all times. I would eat them all the time. I think my dad used to like put a brownie or a piece of cake in his like uh, raisin bran when I was a kid, and my mom would just flip. Um, yeah, but I never tried that, which I probably should. But yeah, no. Are brownies are brownies the perfect food? They're up there. I had some a good one last night at my friend's house, and uh, put some ice cream on it and stuff. It was uh, she made like a little brownie cake. It was like a circle, and you cut them into wedges, and I put some ice cream on top of it. It was pretty badass. Yeah, there's nothing better. Nothing better. Brownies are pretty awesome. Brownies are really great. Cool. All right. Well, I think they're going to wrap it up. Uh, great questions. We'll be back next week uh, previewing the Arizona schools and the Mountain schools. Dave, great stuff. Great stuff, Ryan. All right. Thanks, to everyone out there, for listening to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.